living. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Ha. This sound like theme music. Motivation to grind and get you through it. Church. Unbothered, never losing. Check the score. Jamel show improving. Don't make me tell you 50, 11 times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. We're slightly less than a month away from midterm elections, and I cannot stress enough to you how important these midterms are. I have some upcoming guests who will inform you about what's at stake, what issues are at the forefront, and your job is to be informed. I understand that voter fatigue is real. You get tired of hearing about voting, tired of being told that your life and livelihood depend on your next trip to the voting booth. But here we are. Democracy is at stake. Bodily autonomy is at stake. Voting rights, other economic issues, pretty much probably everything you care about is at stake. Now, people typically only want to stay involved or pay attention when it's a presidential election, but you cannot afford to do that. You have to vote and vote hard and then vote harder. With that in mind, the word of the week is fucking with a V. Not fucking, fucking with a V. Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. In case you're thinking, what in the made up words is that? That is part of the chorus in a new song and video that was dropped by Saucy Santana and Trina. The song is called No Voting, No Bucking. Legs in the air, I don't care. Anyone could get it, universal health care. If you want to come, come before the deadline. Come in the jacuzzi, Jerry Mander, this coochie. No bout in, no love, no touch. No bout in, no touch. That belongs in the Louvre. Trina said, legs in the air, I don't care. Anyone could get it, universal health care. Then she followed that up with gerrymander this coochie. Now, I'm not fully confident she's using that word correctly based on the intended context of the song, but gerrymander this coochie needs to be on a t-shirt. It needs to be somebody's campaign slogan. Now, the obvious purpose of this song is to encourage people to vote, and having a catchy rap song is not exactly a new tactic. In 2020, a filmmaker and a producer linked up together and produced a video that included strippers dancing on the poles called get, get, get your booty to the pole 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 now while some people like myself definitely thought it was entertaining there were a lot of people who didn't like this approach who don't like this approach and think it's embarrassing because you have strippers poles twerking Trina and Saucy Santana's sassiness and they consider this to be a bad reflection of black people And it's somehow insulting if this is what they think it takes to lure black people, particularly young black people, to the voting booth. Listen, I firmly believe in the principle of meeting people where they are. And here are some truths. Voter turnout is lowest among young people aged 18 to 24. Now, that's not necessarily shocking because it's been that way since the early 2000s. But among the racial ethnic groups, black voters in that age demographic had the lowest turnout percentage. The other key is that black men also lag in voter turnout behind black women who are the most reliable voting bloc in the Democratic Party. Now, as much as I wish that our engagement was 100 percent across the board with both black men and black women, as much as I wish that we stayed engaged in politics, whether it's an important election or not, the fact is 
a lot of us are disengaged. A lot of us still believe that politics don't impact every aspect of our life. We understandably have lost all faith in the institutions that are supposed to serve us. So everybody isn't sitting down with a voter guide or doesn't feel the innate responsibility to vote. So we have to meet some of them where they are. And what they might need is a little candy, as in seeing candy on that poll in order to vote. They might not have thought about voting until they saw Cardi B interviewing Joe Biden. They might not have thought about voting until they saw Trina and Saucy Santana rapping in a video. I know it seems simple. I voted my whole life, so I can't identify with being disengaged. But if voting in politics continue to seem like things for elitists, something that white people do, something that isn't for us, then a lot of people won't be reached or helped. So ain't no fucking until you vote the word of the week. And I just can't wait to tell my husband later on tonight to gerrymander this coochie. What? Oh, was that too much? Just give me a second to speak. It's the word of the week. And now on to today's show. Puffy used to say that he invented the remix. Well, I think my guest today invented the remake and the reboot. He's an extremely accomplished producer, writer, and director, and he's not afraid to touch the classics. He recently revealed that he'll be remaking The Wizard of Oz. He co-wrote the sequel to Coming to America and wrote the remake of Shaft starring Samuel L. Jackson. He's got the reboot to White Men Can't Jump coming out and also Uptown Saturday Night. But he's also done plenty of original work, which included creating, writing, and producing the hit series Blackish. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, Kenya Bears. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right, Kenya, so now that everybody knows you're remaking The Wizard of Oz, I figured I would put my pitch in because the most extensive acting experience I have in my career, I played Dorothy. Granted, it was The Wiz, but I played Dorothy. I just want you to know that. That's a big role. It was. And what grade? I believe I was in fourth grade. Jamal, you can't bring up a fourth grade acting role. <laughs> Oh, oh, that doesn't count? I thought you could be like junior year or like I was a senior in college. You played it in fourth grade? Yeah. Come on, man. Okay. Yeah, you got it. Done. <laughs> no, but it is a, it's a lot to memorize as a kid. And of course, we were lip syncing. You know, we weren't singing. Did you have to do that big song? Yep. If you believe in yourself. I did. I had to do all that. I love The Wizard of Oz, but obviously, like most Black people, we... We gravitate toward the wind. <laughs> Somebody brought that up to me recently. 
And I love the Wiz, obviously. Actually, we, we try to do the Wiz first. Me and Rashida Jones are going to do it. But you know the Wiz was a flop in theaters? Yep, I do know that. We weren't feeling it like that. It became a cult classic after the fact. Yeah, it was a brick. Yeah, I know. It was considered to be like a colossal mistake that cost too much money. And maybe it just took a minute for the culture to sit with it. Uh, but I knew that you guys were thinking of remaking The Wiz. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But first, let me ask you a question I ask every guest that appears on Jamel Hill is Unbothered. And that is, when did you... Kenya Barris become unbothered. I'm very bothered constantly. I wake up bothered. I wake up like, man, something's not right. <laughs> I know I am not unbothered. I need that lesson from you because you really are. You do let stuff roll off. So I, I don't, I am not unbothered, but I am working toward it. I'm working toward being less bothered at least. Okay. Why do I feel like that's not totally the truth? <laughs> no, I, I think that sometimes I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, I've gotten, I'm over it. But like, that's just another way of saying I give a fuck. There's like a Buddhist saying, if you have a problem and it doesn't have a solution, then why bother? And if you have a problem and it has a solution, then why bother? And I was like, oh, that's, that's, you know, saying the, I, that's interesting. Good for you for having that statement. (laughs) (laughs) I have told people who have asked me for the definition of unbothered that it doesn't mean that you don't care. It means that. You don't care about how other people give a fuck about how you care. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it's like... That I do have. Okay. I wish that I did not care so much about being liked. I'm very concerned about being liked, probably more so than I should. But when I care about something, I don't give a fuck if people care about how much I care about something. You know what I'm saying? Or what I care about. And in that aspect, I'm like, that's not, that's your problem, not mine. Well, since we were talking about it after you shitted on my extensive acting experience, by the way, that, I think that's the that's the only role I've ever had where I didn't play myself. Now, I can name off some recent roles, but I'm playing me in all of them. So that doesn't count. OK, <laughs> but uh, yeah, as we were discussing, you know, the Wizard of Oz, I have to say of the things you never thought you would see in your lifetime, it may not have been in the top 10. But for me, for sure, it would not be a black man producing the remake of Wizard of Oz. So, like, what in the name of barrier breaking is this? I want to get it done first. You know what I'm saying? I mentioned it and it was, you know, it's such a big deal that it obviously caught thing. And I mentioned it because I knew it was a big deal. When they offered it, I was blown away. I was like, what? Because I was in talks. I was supposed to do Richard Pryor and it was greenlit and it was going and I'd written it and I was like, my dream movie, I was supposed to dream directorial, you know, movie or whatever. And something came up and an amazing actor, they felt like it was, they were in sobriety. I just got into sobriety and there was too much drugs in, in Richard's life. And they felt like it'd be triggering. And I'm like, you can't argue that at all. So, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do it without you. It, it needed a star. It really, really needed a star. That The movie version of it did. And so I wasn't really pressed. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go do TV. I'm going to go, you know, be a dad. And you know, I'm saying TV's hard. And IQ's not, not hard. I just come off of directing this movie with Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill. But when this came up, I felt like the idea of what The Wizard of Oz meant, it was a look at the time they were living in. They were going through the Great Depression. They lived in the Dust Bowl. It was like it turned a mirror on society, right? It made society see itself and see, you know, about self-reliance and those type of things. And I'm like, that's sort of the stuff I like doing anyway. That's what I was going to do in the script. 
you know, and the idea of being able to be a black dude and that they entrusted me to, to have a shot at doing that. I'm like, if I'm able to do this and do it with any level of competency, like I think that like the doors that that could open, you know what I'm saying? And like how it just starts to change the narrative. I, even in the movie, I just finished directing. I realized at the end of the process that I don't think a black dude had written and directed a mainstream comedy ever. Comedy in particular, they'll love Ed, they love Eddie, they love Dave, they love Chris, they love Kevin, they love Richard, but, but do they love us enough to let us tell our own stories for the mainstream? You know what I'm saying? They'll let us tell our stories to us. And so I felt like that was a way I did, I think something I didn't realize until I was done, but it started really making me sort of clamp down on some of the notes and want to do a, a job. Like so I, I was like, I want to do this movie so that the next black kid who comes along gets to do the movie the way he wants to do it. So if I'm able to, to get it done right and, and you know, it comes out, I think it could help some other people. You know what I'm saying? So I, I was amazing. So are you and Rashida Jones, Quincy Jones's daughter, who people may not know, but sorry, I know her from The Office and Parks and Recs and other movies she's been in. Like, it's great that her dad is Quincy, but I, I know her much more in her own right. But are you all still going to do The Wiz or is that done because you're doing Wizard of Oz? I think it's done, and that's my sister, partner, and, and all that. But um, we went and we wanted to do it at Universal. Universal kind of thought about it and, and was waiting around. I love Net, Donna, and Peter, but they had just invested all this money into doing Wicked. And Wicked's basically the Wiz, a Wizard of Oz, a different retelling of it. And um, they own the, the Universal owns the Wiz. And they're not, I think they spent hundreds and hundreds, four or five hundred million dollars on Wicked. And so they were, I think it ultimately came down, they didn't want to like, Water down something they have put so much effort into. No, I'm not. We're, we probably we will not be doing that. One thing about you, Kenya, you are not afraid to touch a classic. <laughs> You're not afraid to remake a classic. You know, you did come into America too. You're going to be doing the Wizard of Oz. You're doing White Man Can't Jump. So, like, you don't mind fucking with some shit that people love. Sometimes, Sometimes you do. Okay. I get shit for it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, there, here he goes. I'm doing it. I, I think sometimes it's a little unfair. You know, sometimes it comes from the love that I have for the movie. Like, I wasn't, trust me, I, Coming to America came to me, and I was like, it's coming to America. It was 25 years, and it was Eddie coming to me, you know, talking about it. And there had been 10 attempts at doing it. And so I really honestly, if I'm honest with you, I didn't think mine would get done. Got done, and, you know, I think that movie actually made me want to start directing things that I wrote, you know what I'm saying? Because I think they did a great job of it. But there were some things I would have, maybe been a little bit differently involved in it. You know what I'm saying? I feel like why men can't jump again, 20 years, 25 years, you know what I'm saying? A long time. Blake Griffin brought it to me, um, who at the time I was, you know, I'm still a huge fan of, you know, whatever, jumping over cars and shit. But basketball at this point, as you know, better than most, has become ubiquitous with culture in our life in a whole different way. It's not a remake. It's a reboot that happens to have that title that helps the sort of movie to put, be pushed along. And obviously, Wizard of Oz could not be more of not a remake. I have the title and I have a classic public domain. It's like someone saying, you're doing Sherlock Holmes over. You know what I'm saying? How many times has Sherlock Holmes been done? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a public domain title that has been done a million times. You know what I'm saying? It's been done on TV. There's been this, there's been that. You know what I'm saying? But it was... The idea of taking something that had that kind of patina to it and being able to like include people that look like us and other people and just tell a story that makes people's attention 
because of the title, you know, on its head. I haven't really answered that question. I see stuff all the time online. I saw, I, I mentioned that I wanted someone for the LGBT community character, whatever. And it was like, I read the comments and I wish I didn't care, but I do care. Why are you redoing this? This doesn't need to be redone. I'm like, this is us saying this. Like, I think we are, you know, our own alpha predator. I'm like, so you were happy with the all white, black and white version that didn't have any black people in the world at all. You, you're comfortable with that. You know what I'm saying? You should, you'd rather have your kids watch that. And I just feel like sometimes we just talk to be talking. So I don't mind looking at things that I think like make sense. You know what I'm saying? I've been offered amazingly huge things that don't make sense. But I, I do it if, if the right story and the right director was around, like I would think about it coming to America 3. So that's my thought. And I, I mean, it is, I, I do know that I take shit for it. Mm. Well, one thing I think looking at your you know career, I think there's a certain bravery in that, by the way, is being able to say like, hey, let's reshape this into a new idea. You've been so successful both in television and in film. And I, this entire podcast could be just on what is Kenya working on <laughs> or what is Kenya got coming down the slate because you have one of the most ridiculous slates uh, of anybody in this industry. And of course, another one that people I know often ask you about that people have been waiting for is Girls Trip 2. Is that happening? Supposed to. All right. Are you concerned it might not because of the recent headlines surrounding Tiffany Haddish? I have not heard that that was an issue. Okay. And... Tiffany is my friend. I know her well. I do not find her to be a mean. And if we're going to look at how everyone else gets to handle the world and how the law works for everyone else, like we should move on. She is unbelievably talented. You know what I'm saying? And has at her heart, like unbelievably good hearted. I did not see what was ever it was based on. Right. I spoke to her. She told me what she told me. It was dropped. And I I, I want to go on from there. It's like there are things that I feel differently about. I feel like she worked really hard to get where she's at. She helps a lot of people. And I would I would love to see her go in the movie, continue to go. Yeah, because the only reason I asked, well, part of the reason I asked that was because she she said that, like, everybody had essentially dropped her. Like, her projects was what she was talking about when it was, like, more so in the news than it is today. So I wondered how that impacted Girls Trip 2. Let's talk about your current project, as in what is about to drop on Netflix, Intergalactic, which I've watched already. And let me just say this. I'm not an animation head. Like, that's, I don't really care about anime. I know this isn't, doesn't fit that category. I've never seen Finding Nemo. Like, all those cartoon movies that come out, I've never seen them. You've never seen Finding Nemo? I've never seen Finding Nemo. I mean, I, mean, the, I think the last animated movie I may have seen was The Incredibles. I think that's the last one. That was a great one. That was a good one. Intergalactic is one of the best movies, animated movies I've seen. I mean, it is, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like this was a great watch. I enjoyed it. And it's so different than anything I've seen. Just even the way visually that it is, that it presents. This movie was good. And I think anybody who watches it would enjoy it. So let's talk about how this came to be made. Me and Cuddy were friendly. I saw the effect that he had on such a wide age range of people. In a lot of ways, people don't give him his, his flowers. Like he kind of like pioneered like emo rap and talking about mental health awareness and depression and love and, you know, melodic singing, supposedly from a rapper, you know, so all these things like you think go back, like 
Cuddy was right there along with like Ja Rule and you know, in terms of like the first people who were sort of doing it, like, you know, and definitely in terms of mental health and like his, you know, weird things and love loss, stuff like that. And it, it still affects people to say, so I was a huge fan. I knew that he, you know, had a, a really broad reach and we started talking and he was like, I want to do something I love. We were going to do it in live action. And some executives at Netflix, you know, convinced us and said, you know, they really loved the idea of doing something animated with him. You know, start talking about how and when animation and music come together and how long those movies can last. And they started bringing up Bambi and Heavy Metal. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, and the idea of being able to do something that could last the test of time and, you know, at the same time tell, you know, we don't get to tell those stories as people of color. You know what I'm saying? Like, though, in that kind of way, like, we get Love Jones, which I loved and was like, where, where's the, but we don't get so, and to do it for young people in a different way than it's been done in the animated way. And the animation is so beautiful. It's not just beautiful animation. It's proprietarily beautiful. Like, you've never, like, there's things in that movie that have never been done before. You know, just like Spider-Verse or things, there's things in this movie that were never done before. So to put all those things together and collaborate and, you know, find the right team, it doesn't happen often. I, I hope that we did. I hope that people respond to it. You know what I'm saying? I'm really proud of it. No, you should be. Like, it really was a, a good watch. You know, it's a, a love story that's wrapped in there that I think is pretty neat. Hopefully this doesn't sound weird. I had never seen two cartoon or animated characters, not cartoon, have sex. So <laughs> hopefully I didn't give too much. I'd never seen it. I was like, oh. They do. It's adult animation. You know what I'm saying? It's adult. Yes. Yeah. This is not for the kids. The kids will watch it the same way they watch Euphoria. Though. You know what I'm saying? I think that our kids' generation is different than previous generations before, you know what I'm saying? I, I think it's done in a tasteful way, but I think it also makes the story, the story that makes you kind of, a lot of people who are watching it forget it's animated. You start watching and you forget it's animated and you just get sucked into the world that we, that was created. I think that was the, the mission and, and hopefully it, it was accomplished. No, I think it was because I, I did forget I was watching something that was, that was animated and the characters were so authentic and real and, the culture of it, like just everything. You just really felt like your senses were activated watching it. And I promise I wasn't smoking weed while I was watching it, but it, it may give you, it may give you that temptation. If you want if you watch this movie, I was watching and I was like, I feel like smoking weed. Like it, it, it definitely gives you that temptation. It definitely gives you that, but it's a great cast. Cause you have Ty Dolla Sign, Jaden Smith, the biggest surprise. Cause I made sure to read the credits. Cause I was like, man, I want to see who I was in there in case I missed somebody. Macaulay Culkin as Downtown Pat, and he's hilarious. Yes, yes. Now uh, this cast coming together, like how did how did this happen? Timothy Chalamet, Jessica, Laura Harrier, like it was. You know, Carmen Cuba casted. A lot of it also was was relationships. Tiana Taylor, you know, what I'm saying a lot of it was relationships, but it was once again, it's one of those types of things, and I'm sure you've been a part of them where sometimes things just start going right. Things just kept going right with this. And that's why I'm so, I, I'm looking for what is I talk to you to knock on because I'm like, I, it seems like it's been going very right. You know what I'm saying? And I want it to continue and people to embrace it and to give the people who worked on it the love that they deserve. Because I think a lot of people, you know, really put their heart in. So Ian Edelman and Maurice Williams sure ran in. I just think Fletch did the animation direction. I just think that, you know, a lot of people really killed themselves for this. Yeah, no, it, it, I think it, it's very, very well done. So I think the reception you're looking for, you'll definitely receive. 
And naturally, as I do when I have people on the podcast, like I go down a full rabbit hole and I saw it when it came out, but I went back to rewatch Black AF. (laughs) And it's funny because I actually think it hits harder now than it did when it came out. And and that's not to say that when it came out was like so long ago, it wasn't. It was fairly pretty uh, recently. But I'm still kind of amazed that there was such polarizing reactions to it. How did you receive those reactions, both the positive and the negative? I, I was fine with it. I'm saying I think that I, to me, it actually in some aspects made me feel like that's how I want my art to be received, the stuff I need to receive moving forward. Because I feel like real art, everybody doesn't just like it. You go to a museum, everybody doesn't like every painting, but that's what makes conversation and that's what, what pushes the medium forward. So I feel like I love the fact that, but I'm telling you, I can, I'm, it's weird because Black has changed my life and it, is something so special. I don't know that, and maybe because I was in it, that's why it happens to me the way it does. I'm sure I have never been approached more than I've been approached than about black as fuck. Like people seem to really, you know, respond to it in a way that I was, you know, that's shocking to me. You know, so I am super proud of it. It was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, let's know the actors are magical people. I could not have done it were were Rashida not a part of it, you know, because she legitimately would would help me through it. She would tell me, she's like, you know, you're mumbling and no one can understand you, right? I'm like, no, I didn't. But I mumble. I have a, my voice is soft. But like she helped me sort of get through it in a way that that no one else could have. So it's something that like you get talk about bucket list things. Like I get to, I get to say I did that. You said that you, you were done with acting after that. Is that still true? Probably. I mean, I do little things here and there, but that was the thing. You know what I'm saying? I got, I've been offered a couple of roles and one of them in particular was like, I was like, well, that happens. But like, in general, it would have to be the right thing being, I'm not an actor. I can play myself. Unfortunately, Black AF was just a heightened version. I'm pretty much that asshole. You know what I'm saying? But it was just a, a little bit of heightened version of who I am. So I can do that. If you want me to do that guy, I can probably do that guy again. <laughs> Uh, well, it, one of my favorite episodes is the one where you had Tyler Perry on. You know, the whole entire thesis of this episode is about who likes what. And, you know, it, it, if the critics like something and the the mainstream or we'll just say black people and we don't fuck with it, but we fuck with other things that people might consider to be, quote, lowbrow. Then, you know, it's kind of that whole the art is in the eye of the beholder thing that you were just talking about at this point in your career. Who do you think your audience is? Hopefully everybody, because I think we're not monolithic, black, white, rich, poor, you know what I'm saying, gay, straight, like we're not monolithic, you know what I'm saying? And someone who's an older white gay guy can enjoy something like Black AF just as much as a young, straight black woman. It depends on what they latch into and what they feel like is the the thing that sort of, you know, drives him. And I think that's what art is supposed to be. You said this earlier, and I heard you say it on other interviews, where you talk about how, you know, Black audiences in particular, Black people, we can be our own worst predator. And you've been in that bubble of where people have criticized you for, you know, making television or movies that even though they are Black stories and Black people, but they're meant to appeal to the white gaze and all of that. So... As a creator, how do you keep your work honest when you have all these things 
that people are holding you responsible for? I really, really, really don't try to like listen. I'm, I'm really, it's really, I'm really, I have a hard time with notes because the notes, unless they are about sort of structure or things that like you can contextually tell me why this, I, I don't want your opinion necessarily in how I see these particular characters. You know, people all say things like, well, that doesn't seem like a, a Rebecca thing. I'm like, do you know Rebecca? You know what I'm saying? Like, have you met her? Because I meet her every day in my head. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like if somebody says they don't believe something or something doesn't resonate for them, then, then it's not for you. You know, and that's, and that's fair. And that's, that's what art is, right? That's why I'm such a big fan of stand-up and I will defend stand-ups. Like, if you're not trying to be malicious and what your comedy is offend someone, then it's not for you. You know, if other people enjoy it and you're not trying to be malicious, you know, you're just saying your point of view, then it's not for you. You know, Chappelle took a shitload of heat for, and I don't know if it's continued and if he's gone over or whatever the case be, I'm a, I'm a Chappelle, you know, loyalist, you know what I'm saying? But took a shitload of heat because he made a trans joke and basically the trans joke in some aspects said, the only reason that people are upset is because this is a thing that basically rich white men are doing. You know what I'm saying? He was like, if black people were talking about, I just don't feel like a man. They'd be like, shut up, you're going to about your feelings. Like, I feel like that to me made me laugh. You know what I'm saying? I think that it's much deeper than that, the trans community, for sure. But he was saying a joke from his perspective. And ma- the, the punchline of the joke was nobody cares about what black people are feeling. Obviously, understand that the things that would make someone want to be trans are or feel like they are trans or feel like they're not. They're much deeper than his joke. His joke was surface level. And it was if you take it for more than that, he's not sitting. He's not a doctor. He's not a therapist. You know what I'm saying he's doing something that is trying to make people laugh. And I feel like I'm not going to defend if they hurt someone. Then I understand that. And I feel like that should be. And I think that he just said it. That should be. You never want to hurt someone. But I think I wrote the Richard Pryor movie. Richard fucking said anything. You know what I'm saying? He talked about things and, he, and, and you had the right to listen or not listen to him. George Carlin said anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like you have the right to not listen to him or listen to him. I feel like the idea of what it means to be a person, comedy is really hard. And, and comedians in general are important for society because they say the things that other people are too afraid to say, even though they may think about it in, in their head. The best comedy concerts, we go and we kind of laugh like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. And you're doing that because you've kind of had that thought. I'm so glad that you answered the question that way, because I want to ask you about something specifically you just said on Breakfast Club. But I'm not going to ask you yet. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more with Kenya Barris. Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As my husband can attest, I love surprising people. The way I pulled off surprising my husband on his last six birthdays, I swear I must have been a spy in another life because I'd be on some stealth shit. And I got a story to tell about one of the greatest surprises that I've ever achieved, which happened recently. A few weeks ago, I flew to Tulum, Mexico to meet some friends for a long weekend. But this was not just your average weekend getaway. This was a life-changing moment. My best friend, Kelly, who I've often referred to on this podcast, was getting engaged, only she had no clue this was happening. Back in April, she planned a birthday getaway for her fiancé, then-boyfriend, and during that trip, her then-boyfriend told me he planned to propose. He didn't know when. He didn't have any further details. He just wanted me to know, yo, I'm about to lock your girl down. Now, I was besides myself. Listen, if you all knew Kelly, you would understand the significance of this. Marriage is a big deal on its own for anybody. But I've seen Kelly kicked in the teeth by some pretty awful relationships. She's been through some real rough patches. And when she first started dating her fiance, my gut told me that this dude was going to be different. Anyway, he told me his plans back in April in Puerto Rico and that he would be in touch when he got a little closer to buying the ring. That happened about halfway through the summer. Now, Kelly is a classic Virgo. And if you know Virgos, you know that they start planning how they want their funerals at five years old. These are some planning motherfuckers. So Kelly and I had already had multiple conversations about what kind of ring she wanted. And I had that shit stored away in the notes section of my phone. I had the ring size, the cut, accompanying pictures, everything. So I just handed him the dossier. Once he bought the ring, Then it became just a matter of how was he actually going to propose. And his vision was organizing a group trip with his friends and her friends and proposing. Now, by this time, I had tagged in her best friend from high school, Karen, and we got to work on helping out. Now, neither one of us wanted to be the overbearing friends who took over the proposal. We nudged, we suggested, but we wanted this to be his show. I also tagged in my best friend from high school, DJ, to help us with some logistics. And that all led us to Tulum. Me and some of Kelly's other close friends decided to tell her that we couldn't make the trip, which was planned as a birthday trip. That was the whole reason it was happening when it was happening. We hid out in various hotels around the city for two days before proposal day. When her fiance took her off to be proposed to, me and her friends went to their room, decorated it with the stuff that you need after you've been proposed to and just cute little things that make you feel more fianced. Ring tray, ring cleaner, some items with her new last name, just all that cute shit. Anyway, the proposal went off without a hitch. Her friends and her fiance's friends, we were all set up at a restaurant and she had no idea that all these other people knew he was proposing. So when she walked in that restaurant and she saw all of us there to celebrate her and the start of a new chapter in her life, well, let's just say I think her mouth stayed open for a good 10 minutes and she cried. 
but it was one of those cries where you're crying, but ain't no sound coming out. Y'all know that cry. Like your mama just hit you in the throat and you can't even make a sound because you so shocked that she actually did that. Or was that just me? Anyway, it was a beautiful moment. And there's just nothing like seeing something great happen for a great person who has been nothing but a giver to people all her life. So salute to you, Kelly and Marino. May you enjoy a lifetime of happiness. And I'm glad that I played the tiniest role in your fairy tale love story. And now back to more with Kenya Bears. All right, Kenya, you were saying before we took a break that you thought, you know, the best kind of comedy is the comedy that's not malicious. You were talking about this a little bit on The Breakfast Club where you said, and I will be honest, I hate this fucking word because of the way it's been misappropriated. But you said that you thought that woke culture was killing sort of creativity in Hollywood. I hate the the whole terminology. I hate woke. Woke is some woke is some shit that now, especially white people who are trying to make an awful point like to use. Yes. I can't stand the way it's used now, but you were saying that you thought it has really influenced how people are creating now. So I'm going to give you the floor and allow you to explain because I vehemently disagree. <laughs> well, I think the idea of just like, like woke culture goes along parallel. It's the black version of safe spaces, right? Remember that was a, a catchphrase a few years ago, safe spaces. There's nothing less safe than a safe space because all a safe spaces is an echo chamber of people with similar ideas. And I feel like I don't want to be in a room and feel like I'm only safe if people feel and think the way that I think or feel what I feel. That's not safe. You know what I'm saying? That's actually one of the most dangerous places in the world to be. That's how fucking horrible political parties are started and horrible movements are, are carried about because you get people who are in the same room. They start you know, egging beats on other on to do genocidal things. I feel like woke culture, the fuck is that? That monolizes us, and that's where we are constantly trying to fight to not be monolithic. You know what I'm saying? But now, all of a sudden, we have a culture of, like, what is woke? What the fuck does that mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Read a book. Books are written differently by different people and say different things and drastically, you know, contradict each other sometimes. And we, we love the authors who write them equally. So I feel like the idea of feeling like people cannot that you have to say the right thing. You know, it's become a cult of personality and a cult, you know, politics have become a cult and a you know, cult of religion. And growing up, dad was a Muslim. My mom was a Jehovah's Witness. Very much so, one, different religions, but bo- both very much so ones that studied the writings of, of you know, the Bible and, and, and the teachings of sort of what we're supposed to see. One of the scariest parts of it is that in both of those religions, the sign of end, end of days are when, basically, when church and state come together, when people start believing that their religious beliefs run alongside their political beliefs, run alongside, and I kind of feel like I am completely pro-choice, but I can support someone who's pro-life. You know what I'm saying? I can support their, their ability to be pro-life. I don't have to agree with them, you know what I'm saying? But I can support if someone grew up really religious and they believe that you should not have an abortion, that's fine. But when you start telling other people what they should do with their bodies, I have a right to sort of like say you are telling other people, you know what I'm saying? That's beyond you. That's different. You know what I'm saying? But that's a conversation that I can have. You know what I'm saying? And we can still be friends and we can still talk if you feel, you know, pro-life and what I'm saying. But the, it's the idea is when you want to, 
the woke culture part in some aspects is just the leftist way of the same thing of telling people what they can do with their bodies. You know what I'm saying? You're telling somebody how they can think, you know, and I, I kind of think the far left is just as bad as the far right sometimes. Oh no. I can't let you get away with that one. And I, I wouldn't even put it like this. This is how, you know, it's a difference. And we, we are talking about words here. It wasn't the far left that was trying to overthrow the government. That's the difference. That is completely true. But I think sometimes the ideologies of like how fervently they will cast their beliefs. You know what I'm saying? When, and when I say far left, I'm not talking about someone who's, you know, liberal or someone who's like very liberal. I'm talking about the people who are willing to, you know, bad example is someone who's going to go blow up your house because you have fur coats in it. Right. That's a far left mentality. That is. It's just not a dominant one. It's not a mainstreamed one. But the idea of I know people who are, as you know, saying who believe that what they, and when I say that, I'm saying if you believe that what you believe is so strong that it it takes away another person's ability to have a thought, I think that that is for me the death of creativity. I think that's what you're getting at is how how woke culture sometimes is the death of creativity. I think that the idea of no, you you know, I the idea that someone I have three daughters and the idea that someone can tell someone else, particularly a man tell a woman what they can do with their body is insane that to me that is absolutely something i will lay down my life for and go fight for to the most extreme versions of it at the same time if someone says that they don't believe in abortion that is their right you know what i'm saying i have a mother who do, who firmly believes that you know what i'm saying i feel like that is their right i'm not going to say that they're correct but they had a right and i would like to be able to have a conversation with them in a rational way and i think what culture starts to make people create around things where they are not allowed to freely express themselves. People were so shitting on me for having a light-skinned woman play my, my wife in blackish. You know what I'm saying? Or shitting on Rashida for playing, you know, playing my wife because they're like, you know, she's not. And I'm like, but it's based on my kid's mom who's half black. Amazing actress came in red to play one of my kids who I love and I ended up hiring on something else. But she was as chocolate as chocolate could be. And I'm like, Ms. Rashida, we can't make that. I would have to explain to the world that this came from another marriage or we adopted an interesting. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And I'm because woke culture says I only, you know, hire light skinned people, which is a complete lie. You know what I'm saying? But I don't, you know, because I don't want to defend myself to add fuel to the fire on Twitter doesn't mean that it's right. I don't know. Maybe it's just the terminology. I don't know if it, I would call that woke culture, but I understand generally the, the point that you're trying to make, which does lead me to along those same lines. And like, you sat in that seat, so you understand this. Have you seen The Woman King yet? I really enjoyed it. And then I got so mad when people started talking about the tribe was involved in the slave trade. I get it. Thank you. I went to go see an entertaining movie. It had African people on it. It was about a woman becoming a king who was un an unbelievable warrior. And I feel like I wasn't watching a documentary. They could have changed everything and, and made it not about true names. And then, you, then what would you have said? Then you would have said it was not based on this. It was a, Gina directed a really great movie. Viola was amazing. Um, a white woman wrote it, you know what I'm saying, who I think did a great job. It's the same thing with people talking about Hallie not being a white mermaid. And Trevor Noah bringing up, he's like, guys, you know, mermaids aren't real, right? <laughs> like, like, I feel like the idea sometime behind that, I just feel like it's, it's too much. In this way, I think it's hard for creators is that 
the reaction, you feel it so much more instantaneously because of social media. You know, if we didn't have social media and let's say somebody didn't like an episode of Blackish, yeah, good luck trying to find you to tell you about it. Right? <laughs> it's like, or write me a letter and maybe I'll see it. But I think social media has made people very brave. I'm sure you've seen people say shit about you. You're like, you wouldn't say this to my face. And I've told them just that. Exactly. <laughs> you probably wouldn't even say it if I knew your real name. But armchair 311, you can say whatever you want about me. This is a dangerous comment. I think the internet needs to be, have some sort of regulation because so many kids have been bullied, taken their lives, put into shells. You know what I'm saying? It's because it's anonymous people commenting on the lies, making them feel like, shit or or taking Gina's which I think is a piece of art and making her it's it's that's not that's not what it was about I understand that someone may have that feeling that may be true so then what we just don't this black woman just doesn't get to make this movie about we have to make the right movie about an African tribe should we change the names and not make it about this and you know what I'm saying I feel like if you want to do a behind the scenes or if you'd like you know to talk uh, Gina to talk about an addendum to this and say, but talk about the actual art. The actual art that she made, I believe, was unbelievably entertaining and you know high level. And the main issue that people said that they had, by the way, people mostly who hadn't seen it, was that it, it, it was glorifying slavery and overlooking the fact that Africans, you know, sold other Africans into slavery. When that's the entire tension point of the movie is how to grapple with this. And I didn't realize, too, that films were all supposed to be, you know, documentaries. So I, didn't, I was like, this is not a documentary. So I thought it was just really kind of disrespectful. Well, maybe disrespectful is in the word. In a way, it was kind of hurtful because here you have a, a black woman who's a director. You have Viola, who's executive producer, a black woman led major movie. And you had this contingent of people just like, you know what? We just gonna shit on this. And it's like, what? Ridiculous. They didn't like it or they felt like that. I feel like that's fair. That's fine. That's their right. Yeah, you cannot like it. Right. And but that's where the internet becomes dangerous because that small group of people gets other small minded people who glob onto them and then it becomes bigger and it overshadows and overshadows and overshadows. And I feel like it, you have blonde braids. What if people are like, black people don't really have blonde hair? You're, you're culturally appropriating right culture. You know what I'm saying? Why don't you just get, <laughs> like, that's, I, I, you give me a, enough computers, I can make that, I can make an argument that people will, will follow. And I'm saying, and so that's the thing. And I think that's the scary part of it. For the record, the criticism I get mostly is that I'm trying to be white because I have blonde braids in. So, you know. That's what I'm saying. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Quick question I want to ask you before we move on to what I consider to be not just the fun part of the interview, but also the most controversial part of the interview. I've seen you say this in numerous interviews about like how you just would love to just, you know, write, but obviously the business part is a big part of what you do. So at this stage in your career, how do you feed, you know, that beast inside of you that wants to just write? Like, how do you balance that against making deals and the minutia and the business part of that? At this stage of my career, I do not, but that's a job in itself. And that's the job that I'm currently sort of trying to figure out. I think that there are a lot of things and people that I owe a lot to and that I'm so unbelievably fortunate to be in this position. So I'm not, don't cry for me and play this world's smallest violin for, you know, saying the problems I have. But I definitely feel like that's part of the things that I, di I didn't have someone before me that I had to pattern after to understand this. So I'm now 
maybe can help someone else pattern when they start having these things like you're, you know, how to sort of, if I, if I can figure this problem out for myself, I can help the next generation figure it out for them. All right. Now, this is where the controversy happens. So every guest that it appears on this podcast, we play a game. It's called This or That. The choice is yours. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this. So I give you two choices and you got to pick one. And I do my research. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. I'm not going to ask. You have six kids, right? I was like, I'm not going to ask you to pick the favorite kid. Don't worry about it. I have no problem doing that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so first up, your jewelry collection or your sneaker collection? I would probably. That's a hard one. I'd probably say sneakers. Okay. But how many pairs you got? A lot. <laughs> You're just going to tell me a lot. 500, 600. How long could you go without repeating a pair? Two years. Two years? Probably. Oh. Probably two years. Well, that's not money. That's wealth. Blackish's Black Like Us episode or the police brutality episode. I think it was called Hope. I wrote Hope. So, of course, I'm going what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Blackish, when it ended, did it feel like it was time for it to end? I feel like it could have went two or three more years. Easily. Mm. One of my dreams would have been like to go back and start writing on the show. I think Courtney did an amazing job, but like, you know, fresh ideas and fresh stories. And I definitely feel like the kids had grown up and it was not a bad time to leave at all. But having kids that age, the stories don't stop. They they actually get more interesting. I think that there's a lot of stories I could have continued to tell. And the good thing about your show is that there's a lot of shows, like if we took the Cosby show, for example, I think that like a lot of people never wanted those kids to grow up. And I think the tone of your show, that was not the case. To your point, I think people just wanted to see where it went. You know, like, oh, okay, because of how you already were addressing serious topics on the show. So it wasn't like they were in this insulated world where nothing bad ever happened. So, I I mean, I could definitely see why you would say that. None of the kids got pregnant. You know what I'm saying? None of the kids went to jail. There was no real cheating, like a cheat, you know what I'm saying? Like there was so many things you didn't start to wonder if your parents, one of your parents was getting dementia. You know, I think there's so many real, real, real things that, that could happen. They never dealt with like me- mental health illness with your kids. There's so many things that we could have continued to talk about. All right. And finally, girlfriends or living single? Living single. You wrote for girlfriends, didn't you? Yeah. You didn't pick the show you wrote for. Interesting. Girlfriends, I think, was honestly for women. It really, really was. I, I loved Girlfriends, Tracy, and, and, uh, and everyone on there. I think it was super amazing show. But I definitely think Living Single, one, came first. Two, I felt like was more like you could couples could watch it. They were both amazing. But if, I, if you choose to say this or that. It'd be Living Single. It's funny because I, when Girlfriends was out, I was an adult, but it was in a different stage in my life. But it's, A, one of the best rewatches ever. It's a great rewatch. I was so glad when Netflix put it on there. And so now as an adult, especially being married, there's so many more situations I can actually relate to than I could as like a 20 something or whatever. You know, I could relate to you know some of it, too. But now I can like really relate to the show. So it's just so well done. But, I, you know, Living Single is a great rewatch, too. So I was like, I watch probably both of them at least a couple times a week. I think that everyone's story is amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like, at, like go find me anybody and give me a day. 
just to like and like to talk to them. I'll give you an amazing story. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea of how you it's your execution and how you choose to sort of see the world and look at what their world going forward is gonna be. You know what I'm saying? Like like you got married a little bit later. That's a story because you approach it differently. You walk around the house differently. You code your husband in context differently. Your girlfriends look at you, you know what I'm saying? Because they had you as a single Jamel for so long. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I haven't seen that story. That's why I think I'm probably decent at television because I can sort of find those things in everyday life that really, if you stop and just stop talking about them like they're nothing, you can actually see the really interesting parts of those stories. All right, Kenya, when... That script comes to your desk about a 45-year-old black journalist who got who got married, got married at 45. <laughs> There's no version of that not being an interesting story. For the first and only time. <laughs> if, you, if you put it out there. Yes. I mean, <laughs> well, look, Kenya, it was great to catch up with you. Uh, thank you so much for spending this time. I know you're extraordinarily busy. And everybody, I am not just bullshitting because the creator of it is on here with me. Please stream Intergalactic. I promise you, it is a great watch. It's a great story. And guess what? The the main love interest in it is a dark-skinned Black woman. So there you go. Thanks for that. <laughs> there you go. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right, Jay. Peace. All right, Kenya's getting out of here. Y'all know what's coming up next. Fuck it, I'm bothered. I'm annoyed. Excuse me. I'm fucking bothered. Just for the purposes of the next few minutes. And y'all already know what the gist of this segment is. I tried to make a vow. And I think I even talked about it on this podcast. I tried to make a vow to not talk about Kanye West or Ye, which is now his legal name. But he always does something to needle me in just the right direction. And I suppose I'm the fool because I keep falling into the trap of having an opinion about someone who has proven time and again, they're a petulant, starving child who wants attention all the time. But last week, when photos were released of Ye and Candace Owens, of all people, wearing matching T-shirts that read White Lives Matter at Ye's fashion show during Paris Fashion Week. I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist. I had to say something. I'm pissed about all of this. And really, my anger isn't solely directed at Ye, who also made his models, many of whom were black, if not most of them being black, including one who was Lauryn Hill's daughter, wear these despicable shirts. A buffoon is going to buffoon. A moron going to moron. A jackass going to jackass. This is on brand for Kanye. But perhaps the part I resent the most is that Kanye sent a bat signal to the dumbass people who can't figure out why wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt is not the same as wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. And why wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt absolutely is never it. My Twitter mentions, of course, were filled with people criticizing me for criticizing Kanye, calling me racist and accusing me of not caring about white lives. And just like that, we're back to having to explain why the phrase Black Lives Matter is different. I called the phrase White Lives Matter dangerously dumb. 
The reason I use that exact term is because let's start with the premise and apply it to what we historically and presently see in this country. White people in these Americas were never considered not to be full human beings. Meanwhile, black people who were kidnapped and brought here, we did not come here because we saw it as a extended vacation. We were kidnapped, brought here and enslaved. We were considered to be property. The forefathers of this country, the ones who have birthdays that we recognize nationally, the ones that have schools and streets and all that named after them, they owned us. So the starting point was that black people didn't matter. And then in 1787, the government decided that only three fifths of us mattered, courtesy of the three fifths compromise. A whole ass civil war was fought because there was an intense national argument about whether or not our lives matter. There was nearly 90 years of Jim Crow because our lives didn't matter. The war on drugs, mass incarceration, the CIA flooding African-American cities and neighborhoods with drugs. All of these things happen to the people who do not matter. So when we say black lives matter, it's a plea. It's a reminder, an affirmation. It's us really saying black lives matter too. That's the implied ending of the sentence. The reason you don't have to say white lives matter is because white lives have always mattered. In fact, they've mattered too damn much. The worth of white lives, in particular the lives of white men, is why we have motherfuckers storming the Capitol, why our democracy is ripping apart at the seams, why there is a thriving white supremacy movement. The KKK and the neo-Nazi movement all operate on the principle that white lives matter. It is why they have committed to racially terrorizing people it is for the preservation of white life. If you still don't know the difference between Black Lives Matter and White Lives Matter, here's the simplest way I can put it. Black Lives Matter is a complete sentence. White Lives Matter isn't. Because whenever you say White Lives Matter, here's the whisper in the background. More than anyone else's. Stay unbothered. To break you off with the Friday. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Hit you with the spice that I offer. Fuck it, I'm bothered. Uh. My word, how I live, you don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Christina Tapper is our head of content. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Ashley J. Hobbs is our creative producer. Rich Burner is our head of network production. And Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. And project manager is Jess Borson. Our theme, Word of the Week, and Fuck It, I'm Bothered tracks were written and performed by Brandon Lowe, produced by Lucas Fry and Alexander Hitchens. This or that music, The Choice is Yours, revisited by Black Sheep, written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc., on behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. This sound like theme music. She dropped word of the week. It's best to use it. Church. 
Unbothered, never losing. Jamel asked this or that. Get to choosing. Pick one. Child of seven five and twenty one. Wave goodbye to forty five. Don't make me tell you fifty eleven times from politics to laugh. Every week she shines. My word, how I live it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. And you don't forget it. Sit back for a minute. I was born to get it. My word, how I live it. You don't wanna miss it. I was born to get it. And you don't forget it. Sit back for a minute. I was born to get it.